0: Well, we are starting a new series this morning. I've kind of been, we went through a series of the Gospels where the disciples were learning from Christ, and we I was picking out the kind of conversations that the disciples were having, kind of revealing what was happening in their lives, whether it was a lack of, of understanding or they were getting it, but it was just, I, for me, it was, I loved studying it because we always Always been focused on the words of Christ, but just to take some months and going over the words of the disciples hopefully hit home with you. But we're actually going to continue kind of that thread, but make it a little bit of a transition. It's as if the disciples have graduated from the classroom of Christ and now they are entering the work world. And so we're going to go through some more stories about the disciples, but now we're going through what we call the Acts of the Apostles, where It's not just them learning, but it's about them putting what they've learned into action. And so that's what this news series is all about. So we're going to begin in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I wanted to pause there. I'm going to do this twice today. It's kind of setting some intro. But this morning as I was reading that scripture again, convincing proof, I just felt like I just needed to share. I shared this with you six months ago, and I just wanted to do it again. It's really quick, really brief. If you were here, you'll remember these points I made about the convincing proof of the Bible, but I don't think we can get tired, I don't get tired of understanding that this word we believe is God's word, it's not my word, it's not just the book, it's not just something that's been passed on, it is the living, breathing word of God, and there's convincing proof to the word of God, I just wanted to share this with you, number one, there are 2700 times the Bible declares itself to be true. 2,700 times the Bible says it is true. People also say that this word is also true. In the last 50 years, 9 billion Bibles have been published in 2,300 languages on all seven continents. Continuity says that this word is true. The Bible was written over a span of 1,600 years with 40 Different authors think about that. This one message, this one book that we read. You'll never find a book like it where it was written over 1,600 years, forty over 40 different authors, and yet it's the same message. It's the message of God. That's continuity. Archaeology says so. You can. We'll be here all day talking about this. But again, in 1991, a team of archaeologists found a stone in the ancient city of Dan from the 9th century BC, and it read "King of Israel, House of David," ending a long-held skeptic's criticism that King David was only a mythical Jewish story. And you can search. You can search Google and find archaeology. At, uh, advancement after advancement, after, after discovery after discovery, and you will see that the proof of the Bible is all around us. I've been to Israel. Who's been to Israel? Have been there? See, you talk to these people. We've been there, we've seen it. Manuscripts, manuscripts say that this word is true. The New Testament has over 25,000 original manuscripts, one manuscript is 50 years from the original writing. Now, compare that to the writing you studied in high school and in college. Think about this. Plato. This is just one writing that you probably studied. Plato. The writings of Plato have only nine manuscripts with a gap of 1,300 years. Again, what's a manuscript? It's a copy of the original. It's a copy of the original. So, when you say, this is a lot of our philosophies and a lot of our laws, have been developed by Plato. And people are saying, yeah, I believe he was alive and I believe in his writing. But the manuscripts that we have, there's only nine of them. And what—and there's a gap of over a thousand years. Do you think you're, that's really reliable? I don't know. But the Bible, there's over 25,000 original manuscripts and only a gap of 50 years of the original writing. Is there proof that this is the Word of God? There is proof all around us. Accuracy says so. The Dead Sea Scrolls were founded in 1948. It was only 15 miles from Jerusalem. These scrolls were found in the pots preserved in the message. And when you read the scrolls found in those pots, it's as if you are reading the book of Isaiah from your Bible. The prophecy says so. There's 61 prophecies of Christ with over 300 details in the Old Testament that came true. I just have to go back. Are there convincing proofs of the Word of God this morning? There's an overwhelming amount of convincing proof of the Word of God this morning. Should you build your life on the Word of God? Should you live out the Word of God? Should you trust the Word of God? Should you declare the Word of God? I have to tell you, yes. Do it with all your heart. Do it every day of your life. Do it with God's help and live it out because there's overwhelming proof of this Word. Overwhelming proof. And then when you get into the Word of God, amen, when you get into the Word of God, Romans says there's no excuse for not believing in God. We've studied it in Bible school. It always came up. Well, what about that far off island that has a group of people out there? What if they never hear the Word of God? What happens to them? And the Bible says there's no excuse. The the creation declares. God's greatness. It's all around us. It's everywhere. And I can tell you the best proof in my life is my life that's been changed and transformed by the power of this word, by the love of Christ, by the love of the Father. My life has been changed, and if I would let you talk, you would see convincing proof all around you. I just had to pause again and just share that with you. Uh, just, Just know that there's convincing proof. Let's go back to the, the, the verse 4 now. Convincing proof. The disciples, they were looking at a convincing proof. Amen? So are you. There's no excuse. You have convincing proof. But let's go back to the story. Verse 4 says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen Him go into heaven. Wow! What a powerful opening to the book of Acts. Convincing proofs. Jesus spending time with the disciples over a 40-day period. Why were these men and women... Willing to give their lives. Why were they at times being persecuted, flogged, beaten, and as they were as they were leaving that beating, they came out singing. You guys were singing this morning because you had a wonderful band leading you. You guys were singing because, well, you know this. Well, there's air conditioning and it's a little muggy outside, so you were that make, made you feel good. There's lights. You were singing because we had good songs to sing. How many of you would keep singing if somebody came in here and started beating you up for being a Christian? Somebody started making you bleed for for proclaiming, for being in a church. That's what happened to the disciples, but they walked out singing and thanking God. Why? Because there was convincing proof. There was no doubt in their mind who God was. There was no doubt in their mind the words of Christ. They knew without a shadow of a doubt that they could build their life on God, and even in the midst of being tortured and being humiliated, they could still worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What a powerful opening scripture. And here was Jesus being lifted up from this earth. I, I would have been staring up into heaven, too. I would have been gazing up. Wow, this, what what's going on? There is something beyond me. There's something taking place that's not making sense. This is This goes beyond science. This goes beyond what I've been taught. I don't know what's happening, but Jesus is being lifted up into heaven. I have to just remind you again this morning, why was Jesus being lifted up into heaven? It's because his work was done. His work was complete. He had finished the work he had come to accomplish He had come to accomplish one goal, and that was to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins so that we can be forgiven. And he had accomplished that, and so he was taken up into heaven. And I have to remind you this morning that Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. He did something for you that you could spend your entire life trying to accomplish, and it would never happen. You could ask everybody in this world, get all the smart people, get all the rich people, get all the powerful people together, get them all into a big auditorium and say, hey, we've got a problem. We keep hurting ourselves. We keep killing ourselves. We keep dying. There's no hope. Let's try to figure this out. You can get them all into the room and at the end of eternity, they still would say, we have no answer. We can't fix this. We can't correct this. We can't stop it. We can't stop people from dying. We can't stop people from fearing. We can't stop people from crying. We can't do it. But the Word of God says that if you will believe in your heart, and if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. You will be you will be delivered. You will be set free. You will know God Almighty because Christ did something for you that you could not do for yourself. You could never save yourself. You could never help yourself. When you are on your dying bed, you won't be able to stop the grave from coming after you. But you will be able to claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when the grave does come and your body is put down there, your spirit will be alive in God forevermore. And that's why you have hope. That's why you have peace. That's why you have strength. Jesus did something for you that you cannot do for yourself this morning. That's why we encourage you to worship God. He did something for you you could never do on your own. There's a story I have to tell you. I, I love this story. I had one dog. I have to tell you, I'm not a dog lover. I shouldn't have said that because now it's pray for me. I love dogs from a distance. Let's, let's put it that way. But I did have a dog. I had a dog growing up. His name was Capitan, which, meant, which means captain. In, in, in English, it means, it means captain. And so it's fast, in Spanish, you say Capitan. So his name was Capitan. He was a black, half wolf, half German shepherd, a big dog. I remember my grandfather. He was a handyman and uh Capitan lived outside in our backyard that's where he lived but one day my grandfather who was a handyman decided to build Capitan a dog house and i'll never forget this my grandfather got the wood you know put it all together got the shingles he got the he got the dog house all done and as soon as he was finished capitan came over to my grandfather and lifted his And me and my grandfather just started laughing. That's why I still remember it to this day, because it was as if Capitan was saying, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for building this. These people would not let me in the house when it was raining outside. These people would not let me in the house when it was snowing outside. But thank you. You've built me a house. Thank you. It was so funny to us, and we just started laughing. And that's why to this day, I could still picture Capitan lifting his paw, saying thank you. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to get a hammer. I have four paws. I didn't know how to, even if I could get a hammer into my paw, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't have the brain power to know how to build something. I wouldn't know how to do that. thank you for doing this. And I can tell you this morning that you and I, we have to be reminded we're kind of like Gopi this morning. And we say, thank you, Jesus. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't fix myself. I couldn't change this heart of mine. I couldn't stop from swearing until you came into my life. I couldn't stop from lying until you came into my life. Thank you, Jesus. You have to be reminded sometimes that Jesus did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Thank you. Jesus had completed the work. He was done. He did the work that you couldn't do. And that we never forget, no matter matter if you stay in this church seven days a week, praying every day, serving the community every day of your life, you still wouldn't make it into heaven on your own words. You still need Jesus. You still need to accept Him into your heart. You still need to know Him. You still need to love Him. You still need to receive. From him, So Jesus left. He left the earth. And here he was. He's leaving. He's prepared his disciples. He's got them ready. And they leave. And here's this two angels saying, why are you guys still standing? here? why are you staring up into heaven? The same Jesus that you saw, he's coming back again. Oh, there goes the light bulb. He's coming back. Guys, he's coming back. We've got to get going. He's given us this message he told us that if we preach if this mes- once this message goes around the world he's coming back. Guys, he's coming back. Let's get this message out. We've got to start spreading this message. And they were ready like a football team. I was going to say like the Chicago Bears, but I don't know if that's a good analogy, but like a like a good like a good winning football team. They were they were ready. I mean, they were in the tunnel. They were hopping up and down. That's, yes, we're ready. We're ready. And just and, and so just think about that moment. They're ready. And what is the first assignment? We're talking about the Acts of the Apostles. What was the first act Jesus wanted them to do? He says, I want you to wait. I want you to wait. Think about that football team. I, I love football, and even if you don't, just today watch, watch just the first beginning of it. If you can, Cap, get that moment where they're, they're, the team is running out into the field, and you can get that energy. It's exciting. I love it. It's it's awesome. There's that energy. That team is. They're ready to go out into battle. And then imagine with me if you told that football team, okay, now sit down. Indians die on the ground. Cross your legs. Sit down. We're gonna. That's what the disciples kind of felt. At least that's what I was feeling as I'm reading this. They were ready. And Jesus says, I don't want you to go heal anybody right now. I don't even want you to go start spreading the gospel right now. I don't want you teaching anybody right now. I want you to go wait. I want you to wait. Who loves you? no fun. We hate waiting. I hate waiting. I despise it. Why do we hate waiting? I think we hate waiting Waiting for a lot of reasons. One reason is because we always, we're always thinking of worst-case scenarios. As we were praying for Mark and Courtney, some of you were praying she had potential heart trouble. They didn't like waiting. She's doing good. Keep praying for her. Pray for a quick recovery. Pastor Mark, wow, what a what a testimony! As he was there waiting, you know, he he was posting on Facebook pictures of, he, uh, well, he's showing pictures of the hospital, and he sent me this picture of the guys. They were window guys, and they were cleaning the windows. And he said, "Hey, wouldn't this be a fun job? If, you know, cleaning windows. You know, this the big Rush Hospital towards Chicago." I knew what he was doing. He was waiting. That was the hospital where his brother died. Where some of you, I, I didn't know him. I can feel that moment where he's just waiting, remembering. Why do we hate waiting? Because we start thinking about worst case scenarios. This was the hospital. My brother died. What if I lose my wife? What if I lose my daughter before I ever see her? Waiting. We hate it. We're always thinking about worst-case scenarios when we're waiting. We hate waiting for the things that we want. (laughs) I don't want to wait for that. I want it. When I go to a restaurant, I hate waiting. I want to eat food, and I want to eat food now. And my wife, she has the gift is her gift. She makes you wait. She has the gift of waiting when we go to a restaurant. Jeremy, can you come up and help me? Grab Miller behind you. we will go faster. He was just sitting there looking like he went. All right, let me grab this. So, my wife, she, when we go to a restaurant, and this will happen today, look at that. I brought the wrong guy. Wrong guy. You are no longer being stage help. When my wife goes to a restaurant, you can bring the the two chairs up. When she goes to a restaurant, she reads the menu like she's reading a novel. She grabs that menu, she sits down, she starts reading that like it's a good book. She gets a blanket, coffee, starts reading the menu. So this is what I've learned when we go when we go to a restaurant. The first thing I look for is the menu. Because usually we're going to you know, somewhere where you have to wait, and I give her the menu. I say, Kara, here's the menu. Start looking. Start reading your book. Start reading it now. And then she'll, she'll do that, and then they'll seat us at the table. I'm playing two parts today. I'm not the waiter right now myself. Um, she'll take the book. Well, I'm actually in right now. And uh, she'll take the book, and then she'll finally look at me and say, Okay, I'm ready. Yes, she's ready. So I'm over here. I call the waiters. Oh, we're, we're ready to order. And I'm like a NASCAR Pitman changing a tire. He comes over and I say, I want a hamburger with jalapenos and bacon and fries and a Coke. Thank you. I. <laughs> I'm ready. I, was, I hate waiting. He's got my order. He comes over to Tara. She sets down her book. She opens it up again. And she starts to ask him questions. No! Wait, no, 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 no. This isn't time for questions. You've had 20 minutes to read the book. There's explanations. It didn't just say salad. it says what's in the salad. You know it's in the salad. Why are you asking him what's in the salad? You read it already. Now this is here's my point. I'm getting to my point. I watched the waiters. Now I'm the way wait- I watch them because I, first of all, I need help because I'm getting you know frustrated. So I watched the waiters. And I know when there's a good waiter. Because that I see a good waiter when that when he when Tara asks him the question, he just sits right next to her, figuratively sits next to her, and it's like they're having a book club. And they're talking about the menu now. They're explaining the salad and the lettuce that's chosen and how the tomatoes are cut up and where the cheese comes from and oh listen, you could do this dressing and that dressing, and they're just having a good time. Those waiters, I love watching them, seriously. I have to focus on something. I love a good waiter. And you know, because there's the other waiters. She starts asking questions, and you read their mind like, I've got ten tables. Half of them have screaming kids. You're asking me a question about what's in the book. They're thinking what I'm thinking. And you can see it in their face. Lady, read the book. Don't call me over until you're ready to order. I'm not here. I'm not Google. I'm a waiter. It's not time to ask questions. It's time to order. But I love the waiters who sit there and have a book club with my wife over the menu. Those are the type of waiters. They know it's, just not, it's not just a title, but it's a privilege. I have a job today, and I get to serve somebody. I get to provide food for somebody. This morning, there's no better way, there's no better person to wait on than Jesus Christ. To wait on Jesus. To wait on the Lord. To just sit there and, like Tara ordering from a menu, just sit there and whatever questions you have, Lord, let's talk about it. I'm hungry, but you've got questions, I want to hear it. Waiting on Jesus. Waiting on the Lord. Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait. Nobody likes waiting. Nobody likes being patient. We want things now. We've got 30-second commercials. We've got Instagram. We've got instant coffee. We've got microwaves. We've got things that are so fast you can't even measure it anymore. It's lightning fast because we don't like Jesus was teaching his disciples something to wait. To wait for me—is Jesus worth the wait? Is he worth waiting for? Is he worth getting the apron on and saying, "Jesus, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stand here." I've never been at a too fancy of a restaurant. I think I might have seen it on a movie. I think yeah, I have seen it on movies. You get to a really fancy restaurant, and those waiters just stand there, right? Maybe you've been to a palace, castle, and those guys with their gloves, they're just standing there. They're just waiting for one simple insurance. They're just there waiting. And the moment they, you make a move, they're there. Yes, what do you need? I love there's a psalm that said, Lord, we look to you just as a mistress looks to her handmaid. A handmaiden looks to her mistress, as a slave looks to their master. So we just stand there. We're just going to wait for you, Lord, because you're worth it. I've learned waiting for God, it, it's worth it. Jesus told me, wait for good friends. I told you a story a couple of weeks ago how I wanted I wanted the cool friends. I wanted the party friends. I wanted the friends that everybody wanted to be around in high school. And God said, I want you to wait. I've got better friends for you. And I waited. And he did give me those friends. I'm glad God told me I want you to wait and save yourself for your wife. I want you to be a virgin when you get married. I want you to save yourself. And I'm glad I waited. You know what? You can still teach kids that. You can still teach them that to wait. I'm so glad that I waited. I'm so glad I waited for my wife, this wife, because there are other people. Well, I'll start with there. There other people she thought was going to be her husband. I'm glad she waited for me. You waited for God's plan. We've learned. I'm glad that I kept saying no to that church and I kept saying no to that pastor. And I just waited. No checks coming in, nothing coming in. I just waited. And God brought me here. I'm so glad I waited. I'm so glad I waited on the Lord. I'm so glad I didn't get in a rush. Those moments I got to the computer, Tara, I'm at, I'm at Lyft.com. I'm starting my profile. God would say, close that computer. What are you doing? Okay, I'll wait. I'll wait on you, Lord, because I know you're worth the wait. I know you're worth it, Jesus. I know I'm going through difficulties and trials and trauma in my life, but I'm going to wait for you, Jesus. I'm going to wait for you. Peter had to learn because he had to wait in prison that the apostle John had to learn he was, he was an outcast and sent to an island. He had to wait on God. He, they had learned to wait, and it is always worth the wait. When you're waiting on Jesus, it's worth it. You're not going to lose out, you're not going to miss it, you're not going to regret it. You're always going to get something you've always wanted. It's always worth the wait, waiting for Jesus. There's no better waiting than waiting for. He is all you need. He's all you will ever need. He has all that you need. He has everything that you want. Even the things that you think you don't want. He has that waiting for you. He has it all this morning. He wants you to wait for Him. And we've got to have a good attitude of say, Lord, that's what prayer time is. That's what devotion time is. It's something I've been talking to you since I've been here about spending time with God in the morning. And if morning's a bad day, then at lunch. If that's a bad time at night, some port, portion of the day where you are reading the Bible and you're just waiting. What do you want, What do you want with my life? I'm going to invite the team to come up. Somebody besides Jeremy, move this table. on the Lord. There's no better there's no better person to wait for than waiting for Jesus. I'm going to talk about waiting more next week. I didn't get much into it. I want to talk about waiting next week. So come back. Join us online. Come, come visit us for the first time. But we're going to talk about waiting on God. I want to wait on Him. You know what? You You can wait on Him. You don't have to be still. You can just be, it's an attitude. It's an attitude of waiting. And yes, it is good to be still and know that He is God, just to wait on Him. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray that God will make us better waiters. (laughs) Who wants to be a better waiter this morning? Who wants to be that waiter everybody wants? I want to be that waiter that says, you're not." 25%. 25%. You're getting 25%. You're getting 30%. I want to be a waiter. I want to wait on Jesus. Whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want to do in my life. Whatever you want to do through me. Whatever you want to do, Lord. You're worth the wait. Tomorrow morning, God, I want to wait on you. I want to wait in your word. I want more of you, God. You're worth would you make us better waiters, to make us more patient, would you help us to detach ourselves from our agenda, help us to detach ourselves from our problems, and help us to focus on you and just wait. We want to wait on you because you have something good for us. You have something good. Let's worship it. Let's sing this song together.